Hey, listen up, idiots. This is your spoiler warning. Also, you might get offended, so warning for that too, you idiots. Hello, everyone. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I thought you were talking to the audience there. I was going to I was doing both. <laughs> you did give me a beat, a perfect beat. Yeah, I did. We're in rhythm with each other, friend. So today we're talking about <laughs> rhythm fever. <laughs> talking about American graffiti. It's got its pulse on the American heartbeat. La Bamba, the Spanish movie that I should have seen. I think it's about dancing because it means the dance. <laughs> I saw them remaking West Side Story. And they're going to have the chick that played the original Maria. She's going to have a cameo of some sort. Mm. But I don't like that they're remaking it. Is it going to be a new movie that's what I'm, that's or what like I can tell oh, yeah, run they're, they're on doing broadway it, i think it still runs on off broadway broadway somewhere oh, okay but yeah they're they're doing a new movie mm. and the chick that was the maria actress she'll be coming back yeah is there anybody else attached to it like actor wise or director wise I have no idea hmm. i really don't know i have never seen all of west side yeah west side story um i love west side story it's my favorite musical I think the one I think musicals can kind of get away with more than a lot of things being remade <laughs> and being successful because you can kind of update the songs and give it some more modern feels or do something different with the sure. arrangements, you know. And it's not as offensive as saying like rewriting characters or plots or, or stories, remaking Citizen Kane. Like, why would you? Oof. It's two yeah. Citizen Kane references in two episodes, people. Also, this is interesting. We're talking about translation and adaptations here. Yeah, because what are we talking about today? We are talking about Big Mama's House 3, Big Mama's. Just Big Mama's? Big Mom. I think that's what it's called. Is it? Yeah, or it just might be like Big Mama's is the name of the movie after the third one. Oh, God. Because there was a Mrs. or a Big Mama Jr. It was a father and son team, and he found out his dad is Big Mama, and so they become Big Mama's together to bust cases. Yes. No, we are talking about uh, 2005's uh, Critical Cult Darling? Sure. Sin City. Yeah. By Robert Rodriguez. And why are we talking about this movie? Uh, specifically because it is a request from Patreon. Mm-hmm. From, is it Andrew? Yep. Is Andrew the one who requested Andrew this one? Jimsky, Bubba Drewski. I we... never know if to say the full name or not. Yeah. I always say I the know, full it's... name and I feel bad immediately. That's why after I said I it like it. really quietly and I went with the nickname <laughs> big and loud. But Bubba Drewski, our good buddy. I like it. Yeah. Uh, also a good friend from the Sad Panda podcast. That's right. Um, I listened to uh, a few of their podcasts. Yeah. I really enjoyed the late register. No, college dropout one. Yeah. I like that one too. Mm-hmm. I was also on that show. I heard. It's a good time. You guys should check them out. But our. Our good friend, man, he he wanted us to do not this movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that fucking prick requested Sharknado. And uh, Ryan and I agreed to it, but not enthusiastically. And I think he yeah. picked on it, picked up on it enough to change his request to Sin City. Uh-huh. Uh, but then you and I agreed. I think we're going to try to do a... Mystery science theater version of Sharknado. Incorporate it in some way, but it's not going to do anybody any good for us to just bitch about Sharknado for an hour on a podcast. No, so we're going to, I think we're going to do like a live riff tracks of it. I think that's probably the best. Similar to what we did with Antichrist. 
this time it'll work because yeah. it's not going to be in my garbage setup. No, Ryan so. has a much better. Or we can just do it here, like we do yeah, everything now. You know? so now we now we have options. <laughs> but our good friend Bubba Drewski, man, he wanted us to do Sin City, so mm-hmm. we did, and I think this will be an interesting one to revisit. I think so too. But before we revisit that, Ryan, let's talk about 2005 a little bit more. Okay. What were you doing in 2005? Uh, I was in college. Yeah. So, uh, specifically, f- depends on what part of five. It'd be freshman or sophomore year. Okay. So, very early into college. But I remember specifically being in college in my freshman dorm room reading through the Sin City novels on my computer before this movie came out. I did not do that. I definitely did. Any part of that. None of that you did. No. You didn't sit. You didn't read. No. You didn't. Uh... Uh, I saw this movie was coming out. I saw that Robert Rodriguez was attached and Quentin Tarantino had his fingers in it. I was instantly in. If Quentin Tarantino was not mentioned in this and it was just Rodriguez at this point, would you have been excited? Absolutely still. Yeah, I me liked, too. I yeah. liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And Desperado. El Mariachi. And, uh... Desperado. From Dustle Dawn. Yes. Right? I, I really enjoyed Robert Rodriguez. Oh, I yeah. knew of him. I got into him via Tarantino. I think like most people probably. Yeah. Uh, through that Four Rooms movie or from well, uh, just Grindhouse? Their friendship. I think Tarantino's oh, sure. the bigger actor, but he talks about Robert Rodriguez a lot, which is how I heard about him. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, I'll check this guy out since Tarantino likes him so much. And it was a good safe bet. They, well, they started out... Uh, I think Roughly that the same Four time. Rooms movie, they they both did like their own segment on it. And yeah. it was their first directorial kind of thing, the two of them. Was it I not? think Rodriguez already had El Mariachi. Yeah, he had El Mariachi. Because like, he financed that himself by like getting major credit cards. Yes. Paying for everything. Yeah. And uh-huh. then just... He's like, I'll take care of it later. Yeah. It's a fucking ballsy move, dude. I could... You know, Robert Rodriguez is so fascinating. I think he could do his own podcast. Like, we could have a podcast just talking about him and, like, his film school theories and ideas of how he shoots and things. Like, yeah. He is a fascinating person. And he is um, maybe, story-wise, not very memorable. But, like, what he did for film and digital and, like, the push of, like, special effects and kind of, like, that quick do-it-yourself guerrilla filmmaking, like... I think he was very revolutionary for our time. I think he is. He also did the Spy Kids movies, which were massive. They were big hits. I I don't like them, for them, but uh, kids loved them. And fuck, dude, them dude made a ton of money. Good for him diversifying. Yeah. And like, it's a it's a cool thing. He had kids, so like, he made movies for his kids too to enjoy. But still, were weird and Robert Rodriguezy. Absolutely, like he did what shorts, which was like a made for kids like anthology sci fi thing. But like, as dumb as it is. You know what they did? They got James Spader to be, like, a big part of it. And that's always fucking great. And, like, there are always, like, good touches or, like, good character actors he pulls in. Like, yeah, he's got he's got a good eye for casting, which I think is uh, not something you can say for many directors. I He's up there with Tarantino. I think he's got a good eye for casting. And I love he's one of those ones that, like, he has his loyal actors that like, sure. like Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Almost always yeah. in something Robert Rodriguez does. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, not this movie. Mm-mm. I don't think at all. No. No. Well, well, he's got another fantastic Spanish actor. He's got a few. Yeah. Who else? Who's the Spanish? All right, wait. In Sin City? Yeah. All right. Well, I know is 
All right, Jessica Alba is not no. Spanish. Is Rosario Dawson? She's like some sort of Puerto Col- Rican. Puerto Rican, yeah. And then there's Benicio del Toro. That's who I was mostly referencing. Oh yeah, there you go. I think that might be it then. Yeah. I'm trying to go through his list of regulars and see if they pop up, but no. I yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah, no, but Danny Trejo. Very, yeah, Danny Trejo's in a lot of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of those actually. Surprising. That uh, I think the Spy Girls, the Spy Kid, the Spy Kids girl is in the movie as young uh, Nancy. Is that her? I think that is the girl from Spy Kids. Oh. Because I think in the second movie, uh, Sin City of Dames to Kill For, that's her. The boy oh. from the Spy Kids movie is in it. And he's been in a bunch of things. Well, since. At one point, the boy was also fucking the dude from Twilight, the shirtless werewolf kid. Oh, no, that's Shark Boy. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Shark Boy. That's uh, Shark Boy. Actually, never mind. I'm sorry. Maybe that girl is the girl from. Uh, maybe she's Lava Girl. I'm not. I don't remember. She's Lava Girl. I know that. The the Nancy? No, I don't know about that. Young Nancy. Young Nancy is either Lava Girl or, or the girl from Spy okay. Kids. But okay. it's it's that Rodriguez family connection is all I'm getting at. I just can't remember which one. I think in 2005. What were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> we got real fucking far off. This I was thing. probably playing. I think Halo Three was out in 2005. Oh, we're just playing. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying. You know, what were you oh, doing in 2005? Okay, just like, like slice of life. So, yeah. Kyle, what were you what were you playing? Like in I said, probably Halo Three, I think, was out in two thousand five. Okay, would you say that was probably your game of that time? For a while, you know, because I had a three sixty, I had Xbox Live. Halo Three really kind of perfected that online matchmaking. I used to play a lot of that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I played a lot of Halo Two. Uh, what else was big around then? Soul Calibur Two. Yeah, okay. If I yeah. remember, it was about that time. I was playing a lot of that too on and the GameCube. And that Game was Cube. like my life. Yeah. I spent so much on the Xbox version of that. Me and Nathan um, were mm-hmm. doing that. Me and Nathan were also probably smoking a lot of weed <laughs> and watching the CKY DVDs. Sure, you take away the weed and it was CKY, Viva La Bam, Jackass. That was probably full on, probably around Jackass number two, the movie. Probably time. was around 2005. Yeah. That was all kind of in that era it's a good time man yeah you know i mean music wise like what were you listening to like this is I, this is sh- when i stopped listening to new music i think this was oh this was your this is my black- hi- this is my highlight like we're, we're the mid 2000s i'd say in 2005 i was really into uh i'm sure still newfound glory fallout boy yes uh i think coheed had maybe put out an album Oh, Maybe sure. Maybe 2004 they did. They absolutely, that Favor House Atlantic oh, yeah, I was think that's definitely when, out by that point. I think that's mm-hmm. around that time. Did you ever hear the band Billy Talent? Oh, yeah. I, they were, I Billy was Talent 2? Billy Talent 1, 2, and 3. I, was I love all 2, of them, man. 2 is a great record. That one had the Falling Leaves and a few other ones. Devil in a Midnight something. Is that? I can't remember most of them, but... I, love I know one and two I listen to all the time. I, I can't listen to tell two, you which like, from which. Still now, I've got it on my Amazon Prime mm. music. Some 41. Yeah. Were you into some 41? Oh, yeah, big time. I like All Killer, No Filler, and then the album after that, which Chuck. was... No, Chuck oh, was four. Uh, half Hour... Uh, no, Half Hour Power was first. All right. So then, then All Killer, No Filler, and then there's Does This Look, look infected? infected? That's it. That, okay. I like... 
I like those two, the middle two. I like those two, and then I put Chuck in there too. Chuck with, is weird to me. I don't. I want to like Chuck, but I I don't like. It's Chuck. like this, and, and this is I don't know. This is probably where you and I differ. Huge into Green Day during that time. Like I enjoyed American Idiot and whatever the album was. I really liked out. American Idiot, and I think Chuck it... is like the the middle ground between like old Sum Forty One and then like this Green Day sound, and I'm okay with it. I'm I'm okay in that kind of. But I also was like into Jimmy Eat World and like those kind of more indie bands more than rock. Like they're more alt, were you, I guess. Were you in a modest mouse? Fucking so hard. Were you? You're, oh, you are so mo- hard. You strike me as a modest mouse guy. I love them. Everything from Moon, uh, the Moon Ant, and the Moon and Antarctica on Ford. I love. What about uh, you? Also into Death Cab for Cutie. Yep, okay. big into them. Dashboard confessional? Nope. No, never got into okay. dashboard. I was never a dashboard confessional kid either, but a lot of people I knew fucking loved them. Yeah, same here. And Taking Back Sunday. Dashboard and Taking Back yeah, Sunday always like came up and they're like, why few... don't you like that? You like everything else. I'm like, I don't know. I've tried. Yeah, same here. I'm in the same boat with both those bands. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I like a few Taking Back Sundays more than I do mm-hmm. Dashboard. Oh sure. Um what else was big in the movies around 2005? Uh, let's see. I think Hot Rod came out this year. Oh, I love Hot Rod. Yeah, you're right. I did see that in Boone in the secondhand theater. Um, well, Idlewild, the Outcast movie came out around this time. <laughs> I saw that, like, uh, cause I had to go by myself. Nobody would fucking go see an Outcast movie. I mean, like, you fucking people. I've never seen it. It's not great, but it's got a fucking dope soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And it's, it moves well enough. It's, I don't know, totally forgettable, but Idlewild's a great soundtrack. Was this the third Matrix? It's close. I want to say that was, was maybe, maybe 2003. Or three? Okay. Yeah. I want to say 99, then... 2001 2 and 2003 because okay. they came out real close yeah that they was like supposed the to big come out gimmick. like a week away yeah and then they didn't yeah yeah probably because they realized they were in fucking trouble on the third yeah. one and they didn't know where to go oh we don't know how to end this well what have we done 2005 was a good year i think i was working my night shift job sure and i had a lot of free time also, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think, is around 2005. This is why I think 2005 is when I stopped liking being a human being. Like, around this time is when it's like, this is the best it's going to get, and now the rest of the world is going to suck. I will live vicariously through movies and video games. <laughs> that shall be my life now. And it's pretty much been it. It's I a good re- way to go. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang feels like it's around this time. Yeah. I remember I didn't see that in theaters. Let me ask you, did you see Sin City in theaters? I did, because okay. I was, one, I was excited just because it's a new Robert Rodriguez, but I was also a fan of the books growing up. I had read, like, one <clears> or two, <throat> but it wasn't until this movie was, like, coming that I was like, I'm going through all of these now. Um, was this before or after 300? I think this was after. I want to say it was after 300. Um, I think it was. I think 300 kind of paved the way for this yes. it gave frank miller some credence in hollywood again well and it really kind of opened up this super stylized comic book presentation of a movie because 300 oh, sure was yeah very much comic book style it's what ang lee wanted to do with hulk and fell flat on his face <laughs> oh god yeah because <laughs> like both of those movies work really well as a comic book storytelling device in a movie mm-hmm. hulk does not at all no no, because, well, I mean, that's a podcast for another time. It's because Ang Lee did not understand the Hulk no. by any measure. No. So I, it's, it's, 
I don't know. Say what you will about 300 or uh, Sin City. I do feel like Zack Snyder fully understood what 300 was about. Yeah. And translated it well. And I think Robert Rodriguez the same. Like, he knew what Sin City was. And he translated it, I would say, flawlessly to the screen. Whether you like it or not, that's a different story. But he he took that book and made it a movie. He did. Exactly like the book. Well, I mean, let's let's just dive right into this, man. Let's sure. talk about Sin City a little bit. Let's do it. Break it down for me. And then I'll, I'll maybe try to follow it up if I don't think you do a good job. Break it down. So, Sin City is a fictional setting in Basin City. Yeah. It's uh, Sin City is the slang for it. But it's essentially a perpetual 1940s, 50s era noir filled uh, universe with nothing but kind of like crooks and low lives and nothing but the hard asses are left. Like the women are prostitutes and the men are just kind of detective low life dicks. Like nobody's good. It's all immoral. And Sin City tells a story, three stories of what is it? Um. Let's see, this is why I wrote them down, because I did not remember. The Hard Goodbye, which is uh, Mickey Rourke's character Marv, on a kind of revenge-filled vendetta to get back at the people who did something to a woman he loved. Um, so that's just like your perfect revenge story. You have The Big Fat Kill, which is kind of... I don't know, this feels more of the the piece focusing on the city itself and kind of how it works uh this is the clive owen rosario dawson one with uh the oh do you remember the name of the city that the girls are part of the the, is it downtown they have a name old town or old Old town yeah Yeah. um so they have an area of the city cordoned off that is just run by prostitutes essentially and uh it becomes this kind of gang war between them and a different well, they, they have an agreement with the police. That oh, they, that's right. They yeah. run the law in their part of the city, mm-hmm. and they give preferential treatment that's to right. the police for that, so the police get, like, free services. But... Something bad happens. If the police are dicks, <laughs> they kick them out. They don't just take it. Mm-hmm. But there's an agreement that gets broken. But we'll get into that when yeah. we come back. But so it just becomes this whole dispute. Yeah. Uh, and, and Clive Owens is found in the middle. But uh, there's also That Yellow Bastard, which is a story. It's a conclusion to the first bookend, which is yeah. also. I don't know why they, they also have a separate this. bookend. Yeah. There's, there's the two Josh bookends. The Josh Hartnett kind yes. of opening intro and then an outro closer, which is uh, what? The Customer is Always Right is the name of that segment, um, which is uh, so Josh nothing, Hart- really. It's yeah. just to kind of get it, you into the world. Yeah. And give you the feeling Which, of Sin City. Yeah, Josh Hartnett opens and closes this movie, and preceding both of those is a Bruce Willis story. Yeah, yeah. which is... So the, it's like those are bookends, and then yes. there's the other... Yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, different. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I I got... I have the DVD, the big deluxe edition, that has the uncensored full like three hour movie. Good God. And it keeps the the pieces separated like I think they should be. I oh. I never cared for that that yellow bastard split up. I like the one story together. Yeah. And and this uncensored, unrated DVD does that. And it's great. I remember seeing it the first time. I actually really liked it being presented this way. Yeah. Cause it was such a surprise when he comes back because it's set up that like 
I mean, all right, so we're getting into movie discussion now. It's just kind of a sad, tragic end of a cop. Yeah, well, like, it's, <laughs> dude, he gets plugged, like, fucking ten times, like, and it fades to black, and it, this he movie He gets had... plugged ten times and then told that everybody will know him for being the pedophile, yeah. like, things get shifted, and, like, he becomes the guilty party, and it's just, it's fucking brutal. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's it shows us in the scene before with Josh Hartnett how brutal this world is and unforgiving, mm-hmm. and then it happens again, and then we cut to a new story, and... We assume that, like, that's it. And it's oh, this sure. really awesome comeback later on when, like, we're right back there. And it's like, holy fuck, I forgot <laughs> all about this. And it was really cool to come back and revisit that. I really like I that. I can see that, yeah. Having read the books, it, it was, like, just me. I'm like, wait, wait, we're not done. And, like, this is not the good part. Okay. I was like, what's happening? So it kind of. Again, yeah. Having ne- it just never left read me the books. unresolved because, like, I knew there was something to come. Okay. And it bugged me but like i can get somebody coming fresh in and being like surprised i think as stylistically I think as, a, as a movie standalone that was a, a good decision it yeah was, it really give give the nerds like me that separate edition that yeah, has them separate. it really that's resonated fine. it was really cool yeah um so yeah. that's pretty much sin city just a collection of pretty much shitty people doing shitty things in the most dire consequences well, possible very similar to like Trick or Treat, which we watched this year. This is a bunch of mm. shorter, smaller stories that are interwoven and sort of connected and all take place in this one city. And what I like is that everybody has their own definition of good and bad. And mm-hmm. they all have like this moral code that they they have. And it's very obvious. Sure. And it's very clear what each character's goals and motivations are. And that's what really helped this movie excel and like... Mm-hmm tell its story really well because you know even though they're brutal pieces of shit people you fucking feel for them a lot of them man yeah yeah it's it's well it's great i i i personally i really will get into the specific stories i'm sure and like where we rank them and stuff but like i have a an attachment to that yellow bastard specifically and it is pretty much like the the bible story of job it is one man who is doing good, who just cannot, like, have the world stop shitting on him. Like, he is more than Marv or, uh, fuck, I forget what Clive Owen's name is. Do you remember? It's uh, like, Dwight? It, Dwight, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, More than Marv or Dwight, like, he has, he's, like, the most, like, what, if you're doing D&D terms, like, lawful good. He is lawful good. There is no wiggle room of morality in his book. But yet, I think he gets the worst yeah. of everyone. And it's just this kind of real tragic sense to it. I, I This this whole movie, it's not uplifting. Not at, at all. all. There's no, it's, no it's brutal, uplifting it's moment. It's <laughs> unforgiving. It's cold. It's and, just bleak. And it's like this every day for these people. It is a harsh world to live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is very Darwinism-esque, like survival yeah. of the strongest or the smartest. Or the most cunning, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I think this this kind of story. I'm I'm kind of glad it was presented in a kind of cartoony, comicy way. Um, I'm glad they took a lot of inspiration directly from the comics, and I definitely am going to talk about like them shooting this movie almost shot for shot from the book because it's remarkable how well they stayed true to it. But um. I'm glad they kind of did this exaggerated film language that you have like 
the high contrast shadows and the colors sticking out and you know you have in in one scene like but spoilers whatever Beniso del Toro like his decapitated head talking you know and things like changing this. its pitch and its tone when his head is pulled back and, and it's just it's the well weird touches like that but it's just it's so kind of comical and just larger than life that it doesn't feel as like shitty and oppressive as it could Benicio if, if is this was amazing. taken seriously yeah. i think this would be he's fucking great good. with how over the top he is and it doesn't feel silly like and he is again a small part that he comes in quick and fucking owns. just destroys yeah like there's a part where like clive owens behind him with the razor blade and like his he's doing so much with just his eyes and it's fucking amazing yeah you're really feeling it in that section and so many more times throughout that it's just all in this i don't know he comes in and he just fucking owns it i'm like i even clive owen is kind of having trouble keeping up man and clive owen's pretty fucking good yeah i would say like of everyone here like the one actor that came to my mind is like top actor or who's acting their ass off it's del toro Beniso del toro like for the little bit he's in like i think he's the best in the movie he's not my favorite not my favorite. Okay. Best actor, best performance. Like, I think he's bringing it. Probably. Some I, other people. I also really like Brittany Murphy in this movie, man. She gets Woo. what it is, and she's having some fun with it. Like, she's also over the top. She does, like, but she's just, she's even smaller of a part than, yeah. than Del Toro is. That would be the only reason. But yeah, she gets it. Mm-hmm. And I like her a lot in this movie. And it made me miss Brittany Murphy a lot, man. Yeah. She's gone. Hey, guess what I had in 2005 in my uh, dorm room? On the back of my door, I had like the life-size Nancy, Jessica Alba, in the stripper gear, the cowboy stripper gear. Like a life-size poster on the back of my door. Ask me how I feel about her now. Do you not like Jessica Alba now? I don't think she performs well. I don't either, but she's really fucking good in this. Um... I wouldn't say really good, but I think this it's, is probably one of her best yeah, that, performances. That's what I'm saying. Like for Jessica Alba, she's really it's fucking definitely, good in this. Yeah, it's very good for Jessica Alba. In, she's honestly, she's not the worst. I think Michael Madsen is god awful. He's, he's just phoning in it in so hard, and oh, it sucks because it came off of Kill Bill, where he did like such good not subtle only did fucking it come work. Come off of that, like for somebody that you would expect to phone it in, Bruce Willis fucking crushes it in this movie. And to, like, have Michael Madsen, like, giving him this garbage and Bruce Willis still just knocks it out of the park, just, even in those scenes? Yeah, the stilted, crooked, copper kind of accent. That, it's like, like he read his lines once and was like, all right, that's good that's enough. Good. We're going with that. And what, meanwhile, Bruce Willis is giving a fucking amazing performance. Some of his best work. I think this is a movie that he's, this is it. After this, he stopped trying because I can't think of anything after this where he came back and like really put an effort like this movie he did. I, th- I liked him a lot in Looper. It wasn't the oh, same. Fuck, I forgot about that, the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That did come But he, he was still really good in Looper and he was really trying in that, I felt. I agree. I agree. Um, but no, Bruce Willis crushes it in this fucking movie. And I yeah. love that he is. He comes in, he's like the first real thing we see. Like, we see this small thing with Josh Hartnett. And then we open with, like, Bruce Willis's face. And he's got this <sighs> giant scar. And Yeah, it's just his eyes open. And he's giving this fucking hard-boiled detective gritty monologue. And it's perfect Bruce Willis. And it's uh-huh. ramped up past 11. And, man, fired on all cylinders. And then, like you said, you got Michael Madsen coming mm-hmm. in. 
Who is good, though, is Nick Stahl, the, that yellow bastard yeah. himself. And this is a movie. He's very skeezy. It is. It's interesting. This this movie is like a time capsule because I think a lot of actors disappeared after this movie. Like Josh Harnett, gone after this movie. The the opening girl who was in uh yeah Planet Terror, uh Marley Shelton, I think. I, I think it's Marley that. Shelton. We'll go with that. Um, she disappears pretty much afterwards. Um. Fuck, I lost my point. Nick Stahl. He did yeah. Terminator 3 and then this, and then I've not seen him ever again. And I watch a lot of movies. It's just gone. And I like it. I like him in Terminator 3. He does a good John Connor fill-in. He did better than Edward Furlong. Like I like Edward Furlong. Terminator 2, masterpiece, but I think he did a better, more interesting I think John he did, Connor. I think he did a better John Connor at that point than Edward Furlong could have done. Well, I agree too, but I think I'll say it like that. Edward Furlong is gets stuck in a little bit of that '90s teenager attitude. Yeah, that feels a little bit trite to me in Terminator Two. Again, fucking flawless movie, masterpiece. It's this tiny quibble, but I didn't have any quibbles with Nick Saul. It's with the movie surrounding his character with Terminator Three that I have issues. But like, I thought he did fucking fantastic. So I don't know. It's just weird that he disappeared because he brought it in everything I saw him in. And like, I think he kills that yellow bastard, that role. Yeah, he does it and he does it very well to the point like it's a disgusting like. Maybe that's what it was. He it did it so been. well. Hollywood's like, I don't know. But yet they kept hiring Kevin Spacey. I was going to say, yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah. And Brian Singer. Um, yeah, if anything, Nick Saul should have been getting all the roles after yeah. this performance. I know, I know. Harvey uh, Weinstein calls him a, I like your guts, kid. So let's let's talk more about this opening one with some Bruce Willis action here. So he is a hard-boiled sure. detective. He's saying, oh, here's what I love about Sin City is that it's not afraid to stand on the merits of its style. Because this movie is a lot of flash. That All the substance is very basic and rudimentary. Mm-hmm. But it serves the plot for that. It, it's not trying new things out, really. It's giving you familiar mm. story beats because it wants to show you cool things visually. So it, Agreed. it wants you to just be able to just keep up with the story. It does tell a story, which is a lot more to be said than most movies anyways nowadays. It has a story that it's telling you. And sure. maybe because they're so short, you follow them and they all have easy to follow threads. Mm. So... In that sense, as a movie, this stands up pretty fucking well. I I don't disagree with you at all. I, I think it's I think it still holds up really well as a movie, but it is interesting that you say like you admire that it has the the ability to rely on the visuals, and I kind of see that as almost um a crutch. Especially knowing Frank Miller and what he does, and he is nothing but style. Like I don't yeah. think he has substance to him. I and think I, his characters think are this flat, too. Yeah. tropey, and kind of forgettable, to be honest. Uh, it is the style, and I think that's why 300 worked, because Zack Snyder is not a storyteller. He's a visual artist. Mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez can tell a storyteller, but I think sometimes that's where he slips up. He is always fantastic visuals and like very creative when it comes and to that that's why sin city fucking and that's why it, it works park, uh yeah it doesn't have to rely heavy on story agreed it's a familiar story that you know it's just 
mm-hmm. the way it's being told to us is so fucking extreme sure. that it makes you pay attention. I and think there there must be something to I like I'm I'm kind of giving it a disservice here. I don't mean to sell the story short because like there is something here because they tried to do this with Frank Miller's The Spirit afterwards, and then Sin City a Dame to Kill for the sequel, and both of those just don't work. Well, They've got the style down, but they don't work. And so they don't have the Robert the Rodriguez story. magic, too. Well, A Dame to Kill For is Rodriguez. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think so. Uh, no. Did Miller come back and direct it? I think he directed it and Rodriguez oh. produced it. He's the and worst. That, he needs to stay out of Hollywood. That's why it became a thing. Because that was like... Is that right? Okay. Because it all started, too, like with this movie, because Rodriguez gave him co-director credit like he was there for most of it and a co-writer credit and that like yeah. established frank miller and that's it why brought him back into hollywood after in... robocop two and three scared him out uh-huh uh-huh so thanks rodriguez i mean i get it I and think... it's cool because like if you had the didn't... opportunity to do that to like a hero didn't of yours... frank miller do the 300 sequel too did he direct that oh no that was just like some fucking some up-and-comer kid? for hire oh, yeah okay. uh-huh yeah, but no, now that you say it, I think Frank Miller may have directed the sequel. I think he did, yeah. I, I think Rodriguez this, just produced. That's your key I'm right fairly, there. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. Because again, yeah, it, anybody can shoot it, to, but there's that magic that a Rodriguez has, that a Tarantino has, that like, yeah, it's their voice that you can tell. It's a flow, is, too. I Like, Rodriguez is very kind of lighthearted at times with the characters and things, and even though there's like this, this real dark shit, like... One of these movies, or one of these stories, deals with, like, a fucking pedophile yeah. trying to get one over on somebody, and then, like, getting out of it, and, like... And still bragging about, like, the eight years of girls that he's got to pedophile, and... It's dark, and defile. then, like, everything and like, this he religious, does with... Like, his uncle is, like, the fucking highest-ranking religious figure in the city, and his yeah. dad is a senator. Elijah Wood is a cannibal who fucking eats Let's, people. I want to like, talk about There are Elijah so many Wood. things that yeah. are dark, but, like, there's something kind of light here. You've not seen A Dame to Kill for? Did you see The Spirit? No. Fucking dreadful, not, like, it's just not ever fun. It's not ever anything but that one note of just disgusting low life. And I think that's the Frank Miller difference. I, I don't think Frank Miller knows how to elevate something beyond just like the filth he writes in. Yeah. Like he doesn't know how to make it. He goes for that edgy approachable. dark, dark yeah. lord shit where like Rodriguez yes. takes it. And like there's some dark shit in this movie and there is some fun shit that is still dark. But it has like, dude, all right, I want to put my heart on my sleeve here. Do it. Well, I, I don't know. My favorite segment. I'm sure you can guess which it is. It's Marv's, isn't it's it? It's fucking Marv. I love Marv. Marv's great. Marv's and a great fucking character. Mickey Rourke crushes it as Marv. He does. Marv he does. is my favorite part of this movie. Hands down. It's between... I see... I don't know how to pick my favorite, but it's definitely not Clive Owens. No. Is, no. is where I go to. It's either between that yellow bastard or the hard goodbye. Like, the hard goodbye is so fun. And there's a fucking part where, like, He's speeding down the highway with the door open and like just dragging a dude's face. In the, and it's so cartoonish <laughs> and so funny, but it's also incredibly violent because there's this spray of blood coming out behind. Mm-hmm. And you see this dude's face being grinded off on a fucking concrete yeah. street. Yeah. But it's hilarious. It's comical mm-hmm. the way it's presented. But in that same story, his fucking parole officer talks about watching her hand get eaten and it shows it cut off. And that's a fucking wrenching scene. Like, that's incredibly brutal. 
yeah. and they happen like five minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's this fucking roller coaster of things that like Rodriguez can do that an not professional person like Frank Miller cannot do. He, yeah, he I doesn't just, have that eye. Not a filmmaker. It's great, dude. Congratulations, you made comics that people love and adore. Sometimes you can't do everything. Yeah, and that's okay. You've been Same gifted. thing with you, Todd McFarlane. Fuck you can yeah. draw awesome shit. You can't write awesome shit. Right. So don't write shit. Stick to your strengths. Yeah. Come mm-hmm. on, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Make dope I, figures. <laughs> fucking. So Marv, man. Marv falls in love with a hooker. Uh, we should also say Marv is the. He's a big, hulking, brutal beast of a man. And. Yeah, he's got that very Roman uh, facial feature, like that that yeah, Mister Incredible the, nose. Yeah, like the caveman it's, it's style that. too, mm-hmm. where it's it's a very large brow. Yeah, that is connected to one solid piece of like nose, and then he's also got this massive chin, and he's just. But Mickey Rourke is also just a big dude in the way they. I'm sure they fill him out with like some other shit. Yeah, because he's a big hulking bastard in this. He is, but he getting Rourke. Fucking stroke of brilliant. This is why I'm like great casting because he brings like the earnestness and kind of almost childlike innocence yeah. of Marv to him. Like just with his like mannerisms, like how he's hunched over at the bar, like the look in his eyes. Like he communicates more about this character than like I think many people could have done yeah. like, under that process. There's a lot going on with Marv. Like he feels like a lived in character. Oh, yeah. And that's what's awesome. Yeah. And Mickey Rourke just fucking crushes it. He's got. Mm-hmm. The way he talks is so simple and so efficient. It is like a big dumb bastard. But Marv is also very smart, like streetwise. He knows how this fucking city works, Mm -hmm. how it runs, and he's got nothing to lose. And he he states that from the start. He's like, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get revenge for this girl, the first person to ever be nice to me. Whatever, I'll go out on this. And he fucking does. And he it's this brutally awesome revenge story. And oh man. I agree. He also meets up with fucking Elijah Wood in an incredibly creepy performance. And just, like, fantastically shot. Again, like, the effects of this movie are so good, but, like, that the silhouetted glasses, where just, like, the whited out everything against, like, those dark tones in the background is iconic. And just his it's red sneakers. So visually striking. Yeah, like, it's it's all great. I, I agree. It's all great. And then, like, the punishment, I think. And again, so Marv gets beat by him once and Mm -hmm. knows this. And so in order to combat him, he knows he can't outfight him. So he just makes it to where he can't run away from him. Also, I love how Elijah Wood fights in, like, the weirdest, most flamboyant way. Like, he just, like, scratches with his nails. And he's doing, like, these, like, Eddie kick flips as he's, like, scratching. It's like, what a weird fighting stance. And Marvin just taking it. He just... And it's working! Yeah, he withstands (laughs) the fucking onslaught, the tsunami of attacking on him, and then just handcuffs himself to the guy. And then Elijah Wood knows he's fucked, and he is. Oh, man, and it's so creepy when he talks about, like, how he cut him off, and the dog ate him, and he just smiled the whole time. He never screamed. It's fantastic. It is... It's it's again it's that that fucked up imagery. It's like what's the most fucked up thing a guy who just lost his limbs could do? Oh, smile at you and not flinch or move the entire time while the dog like, pulls a big hunk out of your leg. That's Sin City. That's it's it is just over and over and over again. Well, what's the f- most fucked up thing that could happen now? Let's do that. And I it I don't know, it works for the very I love active ten- 
don't know. Like, so Marv gets uh gets set up for killing this prostitute, sure. Goldie. He has to take the fall. And Played re- by Jamie Presley, who also disappeared after this. Yeah. And she refuses to, though. Mm-hmm. Or he refuses to take the fall. The cops show up. He knows it's a frame job. And he runs away. And in the process, he... There's that fucking great shot of him jumping through the windshield of the cop car. Oh, yeah. That's an awesome fucking scene. And he's uh-huh. all cut up. And then we get this super awesome stylistic of him all bandaged up. And all these bandages pop off the screen, no matter how dark it is. And that's always so cool looking, too. It's very, like, comic book and vibrant. Mm-hmm. And he looks just really cool with all these bandages on him. And he's got it wrapped up on his hand. And he looks even more brutal and ready to fight. And Yeah. I don't know, man. I love this whole segment. He's just designed in a very interesting way. Yeah. And it, it again, it just it's all heightened to a place that, you know, you can take this kind of story and some of the darker turns because it's just it's otherworldly at the point that they turn up like the bandages are so fucking white yeah. that they pop. You know? Like it just Like it'll be pitch black and you just see like the bandages still. It, it takes you out of reality in the best way possible. Yes. <laughs> because you kind of need to. You know, but you're still along for this ride. Yeah, you're ready to see absolutely. where it goes. Well, it, it's it is once they establish the rules of the universe, they don't break those rules. Like Marv does weird, like kind of maybe unworldly shit. Like him grabbing somebody and like dragging their face as he's driving could not fucking happen. No, but that sets a tone. But and it, then from that point on, I don't think anything ever tops that for like ridiculous but you also believe it in that world because again he also like dives off of a fucking skyscraper and lands in garbage and just gets up and keeps running (laughs) clive owen does like the same thing fucking uh elijah wood's character jumps out of a barn and just like rolls. oh yeah yeah so it, it, it yeah but these things are not out of the ordinary in this universe we don't feel that it's weird It's, it everything. all makes sense. Like, nothing sticks out. And that's cohesiveness, guys. Exactly. That's, that's the thing. You can do weird fucking far out there shit. You just need to have a film that that fits naturally in. And, like, this film is that. And, like, so glad this film exists. I am too, man. I am. I didn't know how you were going to come down on it when we first started talking. Well, I've... It's interesting. I definitely come down on it since 2005. Uh, when I went and saw it in theaters, when I had the deluxe DVD, I was a preacher about it. Like, I would yeah. go around converting what? the masses. Like, have you seen Sin City? It is fucking amazing. It is revolutionary. I still think that. I still think it is a big, big, big moment in film for, like, the mid-2000s. Because, like... More so than just, like, kind of the effects and everything, this is, like, one of the first, like, almost all digital backlot movies, which means, like, it's shot entirely on a green screen. And the one that predates it is Sky Captain, but only by, like, months. Like, Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow, and then Immortal, which was, like, a French film. There's also the two uh, Star Wars no 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 but they had sets at some point they had sets oh so sin city literally has no sets and and this is i love i wish uh they put this out on the internet for everybody to get easily but in that deluxe edition dvd i have they have the entire movie without effects really that you can watch but it's sped up to like maybe five times speed so it ends up being about 25 minutes or so um they just speed it up but you can see the entire movie and it is all green screen. That's crazy. There is no set. At some point, they'll bring like a treadmill in, 
or they'll put up like markers and things, but there are no sets at all. Huh. And this is one of the first movies to do it. Literally the third. Well, so it, it is, it is, it was a big push for movies. And it was again that Rodriguez style of, you know what? Fuck it. I don't have the money. I'll figure out how to do it without making sets. Let's I'm going to make it. it quick. And like, it is a piece of art. It is something that I think should be looked back as like, Kind of a piece of film history. I think it is very important in that sense. Story-wise, I find myself less attracted to it now. Yeah, like I As said, a it's... a 32-year-old man, it does not connect with me like it did, like, the 21 or 18-year-old Ryan. However old fuck Because it, it was very fresh to you still. Like, like I said, yeah. even though the story beats are familiar, they're familiar to us now because we've seen a and decade now, plus yeah. more of movies. Yeah. Like whereas then mm-hmm. it worked because yeah. we were we were just on the ride and we yeah are not familiar because we're younger like yeah yeah no I agree and did you I might be sensitive to this but I do have kind of an <sighs> this is like a damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing but I can't really fault the film for but I think in trying to be as slavish to the the novels and like the look like they recreated panel for panel like everything in that book is in the movie panel for panel like it looks the exact same way people use the exact same dialogue um some of it's been like kind of truncated in places but for the most part it's the exact same and i think that is admirable because it's more of a translation as opposed to an adaptation and i think again admirable because most films change it up but I do think some of the dialogue, some of the movements, the way things look sometimes feels stiff and unnatural and not a good way. Yeah. You know, like it's it's um, specifically like when Rosario Dawson gets slapped when she's in the chair and it's like that weird. Oh, like, and it pops up in the air and, and like she, falls, she flies off like, screen. This yeah. looks kind of it's cheap. And there's a few places where that comes through. Michael Madsen, like, I don't know if that's just him being a lazy piece of shit actor or it's the dialogue. Like, what could you do with that dialogue? Because it is, like, the most. But Bruce Willis does thing. this. He does so much better with that same dialogue. Like, yeah, I guess it's so. the same part and he gets it and so. takes it gritty, hard boiled. And Michael Madsen just reads it. So that's fair. So then, then my critique would not be necessarily the adherence to the writing, but then. I don't think certain actors know what movie they're in or uh, how to deal with like the green screen, and it comes Clive off. Owen is one of those. I agree because Clive Owen's a brilliant fucking he's actor. He's a fucking great and I actor. Don't and... think he's great here. Well, and I think he's, he's also fine. suffering because he's a super fucking British dude, mm. and this mm-hmm. is a very stylized American movie. Sure, and I think he doesn't know the maybe... tropes enough. Yes, yeah. what what is he expected of this character? Who it's supposed to be? Yeah. And it works. It's serviceable. But I, I agree it could have been better with somebody else. It's one mm. of the missteps in casting. Clive Owen still does a fine job. He's perfectly fine. It doesn't fine. suffer, mm-hmm. but it's not as great as a Benicio or Rosario Bruce, Dawson or, or Michael Bruce Clark Willis. Duncan. I'd just say anybody else in yeah. Clive Owen's story. It's like Britney Murphy's in it. Like everybody and knows that. Even the chick from uh, fucking that stupid chick show. Oh, Gilmore Girls. Yes, Gilmore Girls. Rory from Gilmore Girls. Alexis Bledel. Yeah, she's really, she's a cutie in this movie, too. Oh, they got those blue eyes popping mm-hmm. with the filters. That's, all right, that's another critique. Um, Schindler's List. Black and white uses the red dress when needed. Very sparingly. And when it does, it is for the biggest fucking impact. 
this is not necessarily a critique of the film because they took a lot of the stuff that Frank Miller did. This is more of a critique on him. I think he's just using color whenever he fucking wants. For only style or visual. Effect. Yeah, it's definitely for very style. Nothing more, nothing more symbolically, thematically, for emotional effects outside of. That, no, I was. Uh, do you, do you, you have one? So I'm, we're talking about when uh, Bruce Willis starts to feel a little normal in the world with uh, what's her name, uh, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah, and actual color comes into the entire movie for the first time for about five minutes. Yeah, it's very subtle. And then it disappears, but it's very fucking nice. That's one of the good times. Yeah. Otherwise, I think but it's yeah, just kind of hit it's and just miss. there. Like, to do just we do need it. the red shoes on Clive Owen? Like, does that mean anything? It doesn't. It's just because it looks cool and it pops. Yeah. And like, and that's it. Like Spielberg didn't put that girl in the red dress in the Holocaust there because it popped or looked cool. It, it, it was did visually pop, striking, but it, it made popped, you remember it. But so that it had more. that weight later on. Yeah. Yes, I totally and that's agree. Just it. I feel like and the, they kind of and that's this movie. Like we said, there's a lot. It relies on stylistically. There are times when it yeah. does more with it, and that part with Bruce Willis is that That's what good, you were offering? That is, we were going to reference. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I think it only comes across well in that yellow bastard. Really, well, and, that's and the cool yellow too, is good because it's like that sickening color. Like it makes sense thematically. Well, like it, he's even his blood is yellow, and yeah. yeah, and they talk about how it stinks. It's, it's that great for like that in beat. I love that line. He's like, I punched until there were just wet chunks. And like he pulls up the hand, and it is literally just like yellow goop. He's like, I kept I love going until it. it was just <laughs> bits of bone getting mashed into wet floorboard. It's like, holy shit, dude. It's just so brutal. Yeah. Good lord, I love it. <laughs> it's pretty great, man. And yeah, the, uh, I don't know, just so fucking good, man. I don't really have much of a complaint with any part of this movie. And any of it nice. is, is very small. I think this movie is still fantastic. It's visually awesome. Um, story beats a little bit lacking, but I think it's also sort of kind of supposed to be maybe because it's that 50s mm-hmm. film noir. It's very sure, highly sure. influenced from that. So it's it's going to stay in that familiar territory because it's sort of a tribute to that. Just a fucking gritty alternate reality version mm-hmm. where everything is the worst. Oh, yeah. Humanity sucks. So, yeah. Uh, could you tell this was written by a nihilist? Yeah, oh, yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had some character and actor discussion. Cinematography, white man, this movie is just beautifully shot. I think this is the reason to go back to Sin, Sin, Sin City is the cinematography. Yeah, there you go. Good God. But yeah, if there's any reason to go back, it is so striking visually. Like, And I don't think any movies look like it since. Well, even its sequel and the spirit included. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like... If you haven't seen Sin City somehow at this point, mm-hmm. you absolutely should. With this overindulgence of comic book movies, this one is it feels like, very different. It's and it's it is a comic book movie, but it does it so drastically different and mm-hmm. in such a better, different way than yeah. what because the comic book movies now are just they're not trying to be comic books they're comic book characters yeah and movies. they are adaptations yes they're not trans this is a fucking comic yes. book. That is a movie. <laughs> like it just is. Spider-Man: Homecoming, Avengers. They're not. They they are interpretations of a character of a character yeah. done for movies, and that's fine. It works. It's great. 
This is not that. This is a comic that moves. <laughs> Here's one thing I've always wondered, and it's never stuck out to me. If it's not pointed out to you, would you have known that Tarantino directed any scene in this movie? No, but I did. I knew about this from the start. Exactly. This is and I one did I looked too. into. I was like, oh, Tarantino's directing? I've got to see this. But I'm even like hyped. watching that scene and knowing that that's the Tarantino scene, it doesn't have that Tarantino voice. It doesn't have the Tarantino voice, but what it does have, and what I did notice... um, upon several viewings of this movie is I think the camera moves are much more interesting in his short little scene than most of the rest of the movie. I think Robert Rodriguez... There are a lot more camera moves in his short one than most of the Rodriguez ones. They're, they're mostly like flat angle shots because he's trying to recreate the panels and the panels yeah. are static. You know, they're stationary. It's about the look of that one thing. Tarantino is moving that fucking camera around that car. That's true the damnedest and like that's like the that's the only way i can tell yeah is is his camera is much more energetic than Rodriguez. it feels like it's a lot tighter too because yeah you can it's close up it's very in that car's fucking space yeah. and you feel crammed in and you feel nervous because clive owen is nervous because he's got a dead cop yeah in the fucking seat next to him and it, it does do a very good job of holding tension and I really like Benicio changing his voice depending on the swaying of the head. Of yeah. his, I don't know. De- Del Toro fucking kills it. And that's I think that's a, a highlight scene. That's a perfect loop around because we started talking about Del Toro. And I think that's a good place to end this. I have a feeling him. any movie Del Toro is a part of, he's going to kill it. He's, and we will talk about it. He's week. absolutely always been one of my favorites. I've loved him ever since I saw fucking uh, Fear and Loathing. I oh, sure. Benicio. Yeah. So, and I, I went back and I watched everything I'd missed. And I see almost anything he's in now because I'm a fan of that mm-hmm. dude. I do too. And the way he gets into it. And it's always like, I didn't like that movie, but Del Toro fucking rocked. Like, he was good or whatever. Like, that's always, I'll always at least come away with that. And that's the exact thing we said about Star Wars Last Jedi. Yeah, it's actually sadly for a lot of Del Toro's movies, yeah. I think, in my opinion. Like, that is really good. I did not like that movie. But this movie, <laughs> all around, is fantastic. And Pretty Del good. Toro is a great little icing on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, out of... What's our ranking system going to be for this movie? Oh, shit. What's an item or something here? All right, I've got it. Oh, you got it? Okay. Yeah. On Go a scale it. of 1 to 10... Really cool looking on screen to smoke cigarettes. Oh, okay. Because there's a lot of smoking in this movie. And it looks really fucking cool every time. Everybody lights their fucking cigarettes with so much style. Del Toro has one at one point and the lighter. The middle finger. He puts it in and then lights it with the middle finger. and, And it's like, it's so fucking cool. It is just coolness personified. In the Tarantino scene, coincidence? Yeah. I think not. But even still, like, they all light them different ways. Like yeah. Marv, they all have Zippos, but Marv's is always just very brutal, efficient, and just getting the job done. Del Toro's are a little slicker. Yeah, it's, it's that character detail. Yep. And it's, 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 yeah. I, there's a lot here that makes this movie. So, up, so, on a scale of one to ten perfectly awesome, cool looking smoke cigarettes, ten being the best, what would you give this movie? I've been warring with myself all morning about this. And it's between an eight out of 10 and a 9 out of 10. Okay. And I'm probably I think I want to lean more towards 8. Okay. Uh but I still think it's a fucking solid movie. Again, if you've not seen this, do yourself a favor. I would recommend buying the 3 DVD unrated super set because it is just a testament to movie making at its purest. Yeah. I I love 
so much about this movie. Frank Miller has tainted it a little bit for me with just some of his output since, and now it's hard to not see. It's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're honest a scumbag piece yeah. of shit. Okay. And that, that taints it, and like I said, there's just some people who I don't think quite get the movie they're a part of that take me out of it. Sure. But otherwise, like, those are quibbles for me. I think Average Joe is going to love this movie. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and eschew you. I'm, fuck it. This movie's 10 out of 10, man. I'm okay with that. I'm glad it's getting a 10 out of 10. I love this movie. I'm glad. Because the, the, the complaints I do have are so minor. Yeah. Like, like I said, Clive Owen is maybe one, but even he is totally fine. He's just not at the level of a lot of the other people in this movie. He's not Michael Madsen bad. I can't hate on Michael Madsen because he's in the movie for like five minutes total. True. He's got a very small part at the beginning. And a very small part when he picks him up from prison. The Who are the... Well, it's him. It's also the two dumb sidekick who, henchmen. One of them is Ron Swanson. Nick Offerman, I found out this time, which I didn't know. But that bald cap guy, that's fucking him. That's not a bald cap. That's, is that him? That's bleach blonde hair and a blonde fucking goatee. Am I thinking of a goatee. You might be. Yeah. For some reason, I when I I remember it... Bald. Maybe it's because it was blonde. It, it is. Comes it, across that's exactly white. what it is. Because it's very strikingly blonde. But he's got short blonde spiky hair and a blonde but goatee. He's, he's so just against type. Like, yeah, I he, would have never known this was. He's very blonde, huge blonde. and stupid looking. Yeah, and, and then, he's just a, your basic kind of dumb thug. Well, not dumb. He's uh, well, man, maybe he's pretty dumb. I think he's the dumb one. The other one's the smart one. It's like, like I don't talks know how fast. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Again, stereotypical. Big dumb one. Small fast talker that small fast one was also the guy who buried beatrix kiddo in kill bill right i think so yeah he helped with the shovel i yeah. always remember him because he held his beer in yeah. a real weird way yeah i'll remember the guy forever that's a, but i that's think also that's what i remember too. the one dude from uncle buck because he has his <laughs> the beer on his middle finger you know what i'm talking about at the bowling yes. alley it's fucking weird yeah that shit but will it always it sticks fucking... out and it's a cool move from like an actor to do that because it sticks out you it's remember different. it yeah yeah it's that uh, that advice when you're doing a resume. Yeah. Well, this one person, uh, everybody puts their resume in the sack, and it's just a bunch of white papers. You've Turn like yours a, into an origami, or you've got like do something interesting. Make a light soft, a, a light soft blue, like a robin's yeah, egg blue. Different color. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do something to stick out. And that guy holding a beer in both movies. Those guys holding beers. They got recognized, they and you remember them. That's right. Yeah, man. Perfect movie, though. I'm glad. I love I'm this. glad. It's, it's not I'm perfect, glad. but it is perfect movie for me, and I still love it. I'm glad yeah. you still love it, too. I didn't know how yeah. you were going to come back to it. So Yeah, there was a potential for it to go. <laughs> yeah, there was. Go awry. But it, uh, it's it's a testament to this film, too, that it still stands up uh, yeah. well over a decade later. So Absolutely, man. Last time, we'll tell you, go fucking watch Sin City. Absolutely. And we'd like to thank you again, Bubba Drewski. For this recommendation. Yeah. Much better than Sharknado. Thanks for changing it. <laughs> we definitely appreciate that. And hey, man, uh, if you got something you want us to suffer through, because we are still going to do Sharknado too, we will honor that first request. Mm-hmm. Because Bubba Drewski is nice enough that he contributes a dollar a month to us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And that's what led him request this movie, and that's why we're doing it. We're honoring all of our Patreon requests, because you guys gave us money and we're going to do those. Mm-hmm. And we just got busy with theme months. We are we are knocking them out. We're honoring this commitment. Yeah, sept- we got you guys. September and October are rough. 
So, so, if you've got something you want us to review, we also do games. We are doing a game for our friend Zachary Schmackery. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm still working on it. I forgot because it's been so long. Yeah, I know. Uh, but that's also coming up. Uh, but if you'd like us to, man, all we ask is a dollar a month on yeah. Patreon. It's not a big thing. And, you know, even if you don't do it, we love you. We're, we don't really want your yeah. money. Yeah, we uh, just want your attention. Yeah, so we, give it to us. <laughs> we appreciate that. But thank you guys, as always, for listening. It really means so much to us that we can't even describe. So, absolutely, you guys are the best, man. We really mean it, and uh, we'll catch you next time. I'm Kyle. I'm Ryan. Later, guys.